0: All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to uh, John chapter 18. And please bear with me for a moment as I uh, put together my notes. Thank God for a big pulpit. I've preached on some small ones, and uh, they are, for me, they are uh, difficult to say the least. I always use a lot of notes. And so it's important for me to have a sufficient pulpit. So in John chapter 18, the Lord Jesus Christ is standing before Pilate, and we looked at this question that he asked the Lord. If you look at verse 36, Jesus speaking here, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. And notice how the Lord said that the truth. Not a truth or just truth in general, but the truth. Jesus said in John 146, I am the way, the truth. And the life, very specific, very specific. And he says, everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. He said it twice. And then Pilate answered him, what is truth? Verse 38. What is truth? Now, uh, we discussed last week that it could have been in a cynical way that he said that, or perhaps a philosophical way that he said that. But it also could have been as a politician that had become cynical. All kinds of ways of looking at this, but he poses the question, what is truth? And we want to talk about this today because we're living in what's called the time of postmodernism. I read to you from a a flyer uh, coming to a public school near you, but it was uh, mentioning some workshops, the gender revolution. And uh, how many of you understand that education, for the most part, in in the public schools has turned into indoctrination? And that's what this is. And they talk about all sorts of different things, including gender non-conforming people and how they want to create social change. Uh, How did we get to the point where two plus two may not be four anymore? That if you decide that it's five, then that's okay, because that's your truth. Truth has become that nebulous. Truth has become that irrelevant. And we're back in the book of Judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If you think about that statement that's given to us twice in the book of Judges, uh, that certainly describes where we're at today. Now this question is a societal question, it's a question of education, it's a question of philosophy, it's a question of culture, it's a historical question, which we'll talk about for a few minutes before we move forward, but it's also a very important spiritual question, and that's uh, where we're going to land here this morning. We're going to concentrate on the spiritual, otherwise it's too broad and we'd be going too many different places. But I want you to think about that for a moment how did we get here? How did we end up at this point of, of what's called postmodernism? Now, by way of definition, uh, let me give you a definition of postmodernism. But before I do, uh, my wife said to me this week, she said, you know, after hearing you preach on this last week, she said, I, I've made a decision. And she said, you know, I've been short my whole life. So I've made a, a, a species identification decision here. She says, I now identify as a giraffe. Mm-hmm. She really said that to me. She says, I identify as a giraffe. And, and so let me warn you, when you talk to her, you'll be talking to her right here, but you look up. <laughs> up there, that's what she wants. Isn't that what you said, honey? Up there, okay? Okay. And if you don't, there could be consequences. <laughs> you got to get a little bit lighthearted about it because it's, it's so crazy, isn't it? But, but how did we get to that point? Let me give you a, just a, a quick overview of history regarding the idea of absolute <coughs> excuse me, truth. Starting from Genesis chapter 3, man in the garden right up to the present. From Genesis 3... From Genesis 3 to about the 1700s. And I'm not talking B.C., I'm talking A.D. Yes, we're talking millenniums. This is what is called in history, and again, we're dealing in broad generalizations here, the pre-modernism period. Now, in the pre-modernism period, quite simply, everybody, no matter who you were, no matter who you were, with the exception of those few people that thought they were atheists, all right, and you know that there is no such thing as an atheist. The Bible addresses professing atheism twice in the book of Psalms, and it says the fool hath said in his heart there is no God, but he knows there's a God. In fact, most hardcore atheists spend their whole time fighting against a God that they insist doesn't exist. So, so outside of those few people that have always existed, men and women and young people believed that there was such a thing as absolute truth, and that absolute truth came to us in a supernatural manner. That is from God. Now, it might have been the God of the Bible. might have been the God of the Hebrews in the Old Testament, <coughs> the, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, after the New Testament was, was written. It, it might have been, uh, you might have been someone who in Greece worshipped the pantheon of gods in Greece, or whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is you believe there was such a thing as absolute truth and you believe it was divine in origin. And and what happened over time is we came into into the 1700s and somewhere around the 1700s, after coming out of the dark ages, modern man, as he was defined in those days, decided, you know what, I don't necessarily think religion is the answer, uh, Catholicism gave us the Dark Ages. And uh, so the period of rationalism came on the scene. And the idea was that we're going to figure it out. There is absolute truth, but we're going to figure it out through our own intellect. And, and, and thus, science became almost a prevailing religion, which, by the way, the word science just means knowledge. And you don't have to be afraid of real knowledge. The Bible warns us of science falsely so-called. And by the way, the first science falsely so-called, the number one, the head of the class, the top of the list, is evolution. Because it attacks the very first verse in God's Word. I mean, God reveals himself... To us through this through this word, and the very first thing that Satan attacks is creation, and he does it through evolution, and it's been very effective. And during the modernism period, which, by the way, as opposed to the pre-modernism period, which lasted for millenniums, the modernism period lasted for several centuries. And from the mid mid 1700s, we talked about the nine prevailing philosophies. Of man which by the way are are all chronicled the book of Ecclesiastes Solomon lays them out he experiments with most of them he had the wealth he had the power to do it and and what's the main expression in the book of Ecclesiastes vanity of vanities all is what vanity you come up empty by the way when you're, when you're done with these philosophies, or these philosophies, rather, are done with you, you're left with nothing. That's why it's vain. That's what vanity means, empty, nothing. And, and let, me, let me warn you, and, and, and let us all be warned as Christians, there will be periods of time in your life as a believer where you're going to think you don't have enough. Somehow, God is not enough. Somehow, His Word is not enough. Would you just try to remember something? The problem isn't with God and His Word. The problem is with you. And sometimes we do go through the desert, but that's not the time to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because what happens sometimes is people start looking around, and and they fall for the devil's line that today is no different than it was in Genesis 3 when, when, when the serpent... Uh, Had Eve fall and Adam fall and partake of the forbidden fruit and disobey God. The idea was that God is an ogre. God is mean. God has restricted you too much. You don't have enough freedom. You need to try some other things. You need to go searching elsewhere. And in the end, paradise was lost. Paradise was lost. Folks, God has given us so much through His Word. God has given us so much through salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm so encouraged when I see young people at that age that have decided not to take that that left that left turn into ambivalence but want to stay with the truth. In a day and age now where we've come to the place postmodernism which by the way is only decades old and started around 1980 you go back to modernism, and from about the mid 1700s to about uh, 1980, uh, the whole idea was well, science has the answers, science is working on the answers, science is going to get us the answer. And so, what did it give us? Two world wars and dictatorships that were responsible for slaughtering millions upon millions of people, tens of millions. And communism continues with us today. And as a nation, I'm afraid we're drifting in that direction. But what happened? A generation woke up one day and said, Hey, modernism, the idea that there is a truth and we'll find it through science, has left us with all of this carnage. So, guess what? There is no truth. No absolute truth. There's truth whatever you make it. There's truth as you decide there's truth. You create your own truth and just be true to it. That's how we've gotten to this place. Where people, people believe you could just deny what's obvious about gender and and, and, and like I was joking, you know, Carol said, I'm identifying as a giraffe. I mean, why not? Why not? A short history of how we got to postmodernism. Philosophy classes. The public education system subscribes to most of this, especially as you get into, into um higher education. In fact, the hallmark, more often than not, of intelligence when it comes to higher education is maximum uncertainty. The more unsure you are about things, the more intelligent you are. And God forbid you should land on absolute truth. That's, uh, that's a sure sign that you're ignorant and unintelligent. Do you see how clever the devil is? By the way, what the devil did not uh, propose in an environment in our country at one time where uh, morality prevailed for the most part in civil life and in our culture... He, he didn't suggest immorality. He, he simply suggested through philosophy and religion, amorality. Same thing as postmodernism. Instead of making your own truth here, you just make up your own morality. And nobody can say what's right or wrong anymore. You know, you know there's a, a, an expression I used to hear all the time about... Two people cohabitating without getting married—they used to call it shacking up. How many of you're old enough to remember that? Well, nobody shacks up anymore. It's all good, huh? And there's no more fornication anymore. Uh, uh, Adultery—you can go on the website and you can uh, you can log on to sites that'll uh, help you find people in your community that want to commit adultery. It's all good. Oh, you don't like that? Well, that's okay. Whatever you like, whatever you don't like. It's it's your morality. It's your truth. And the Bible says in the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Is there absolute truth? My goodness, we looked at some verses last week from the Scriptures. Let me continue a little further here. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Talks about the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 also talks where Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ and I lie not. 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, uh, to them which believe and know the truth. 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says, rightly dividing the word of God truth 1st Timothy chapter or 2nd Timothy chapter 2 also says if God peradventure will give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth their salvation and by the way as as religion as Christendom as professing modern contemporary and emergent Christianity has embraced this philosophy uh, we're not talking as i said last week nibbling around the edges of doctrinal importance we're talking about salvation itself Salvation itself. Remember something, the devil always eventually goes for the juggler. He does that with sin. He does that with his lies. He's a master of lies. Uh, Titus chapter 1 talks about acknowledging uh, acknowledging of the truth, which is after uh, godliness. Titus chapter 1 also says the commandments of men that turn from the truth. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Salvation again. Did you ever think of that verse in that context? Turning away from even the idea of absolute truth, then you're no longer going to believe on Christ as Savior. You know, I've ministered in the modernistic age, so to speak, modernism. And, and, And by the way, when you think of this, uh, this uh, term uh, mo- modernism uh, back in the day when somebody was a liberal they would say that guy is a modernist and it didn't mean he had the latest clothes or the latest technology or the latest car it just meant that, that he believed in a, a dumbed down version of the Bible uh, in, in Christian terms so to speak in terms of Christendom yeah God spoke but we think he mumbled You know, he wasn't clear, so we can't be clear anymore. You know, the virgin birth might be true, but it might not. Don't be dogmatic about Jesus being the only way because there are so many other ways. Remember those days? And I remember, to be honest with you, witnessing was a little bit of a a simpler proposition because if somebody uh, believed in in the idea of the day that science would have the answer, you only had to you only had to resolve one thing for verification of the scriptures, and that is: did God create all things, or did He not? And if they subscribed to evolution, they weren't going to go with you to salvation. But if they didn't, you could you could just go right straight off and talk about salvation because there was the belief of absolute truth and if you rejected that science was going to come up to the answer then you had to go back to pre-modernism that god was going to bring the answer and you just had to get past all the false gods to the true god of the bible now folks when you approach somebody you don't know what you're getting into because so many have created their own truth and you're dealing with something different just about every time but it affects salvation. James chapter 1, of his own will begat he uh, us with the word of truth. James chapter 5, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. First Peter chapter 1, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Uh, second Peter chapter 1, to be established in the present truth. Uh, John tells us in First John 1, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. First John chapter one, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. First John Chapter 2, I I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. He also says, The same anointing teacheth you all things and is truth. 1 John chapter 3, and hereby we know that we are of the truth. 1 John chapter 4, hereby know we the spirit of truth, and listen to this now, and the spirit of error. And the spirit of error is stronger in this world today than I've seen it in my whole lifetime. Folks, whatever theory you might have about whatever this pandemic means in broader terms, let me tell you something it does mean. We have now seen that the entire world can be controlled over one issue. And I, I believe the time is coming where the issue doesn't matter anymore as long as it creates enough fear. And boy, don't think the Antichrist won't, won't, won't use that one. We are headed in that direction. You know, I think a lot of Christians have the mistaken idea that, you know, everything's going gonna, everything's to gonna go great until the rapture, especially in America. Because, you know, we're Americans, we get a free ride. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, after the rapture, the devil flips a switch and everything starts falling apart and God flips a switch and he starts pouring his wrath out on the earth. I don't think it's that way at all. Every dispensation in Scripture seems to have a transition. The only exception is in the garden during the time of innocence because they fell as soon as they partook of the fruit and they were kicked out of the garden. Every other dispensation has a transition to it. And folks, we are seeing it before our very eyes. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And I believe the Lord's return is sooner than, than it's ever been. Uh, The Bible says in in 1 John chapter 5, uh, the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. 2 John chapter 1, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. 2 John chapter 1, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us. 2 uh, 2 John chapter 1 uh, says, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Second John chapter 1, he said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. Uh, 3 John chapter 1, uh, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Third John, he says, When the brethren came and tre- testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. He says also, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. He says that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. He said, Demetrius had good report of all men and of the truth itself. You get the idea? God's word says there's absolute truth. So, right away, when you hear all this other stuff, talking about all this ambiguity and ambiguity, and, and that the idea that, that truth is relevant and truth is whatever you make it. And, fo- and folks, uh, l- let's do a little bit of history lesson here. Let's talk about old liberalism and, and then the new liberalism of the contemporary uh, church. Let's realize something. This has an effect on believers. Folks, if we, don't, if we don't look at the world, which Paul calls this present what world? Evil. He doesn't call it this present lovely world, this present good world. Folks, this world is, until Jesus comes back, is never going to be a friend of grace. And and so as we discovered last week, even the first century church had to fight, and there was corruption within the church, particularly through Gnosticism, as we discovered last week, but we, we still have the same fight, and, and let's talk for a moment about old liberalism, uh, the old line denominations, uh, they brought in what was called the social gospel, never mind preaching the blood of Jesus Christ, that's too offensive, never mind talking about salvation by grace through faith. No, we're going to talk about just simply doing good to our fellow man, and we're going to earn our way to heaven through that. And we're going to diminish the supernatural aspects of the Scripture, deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, deny the absolute inerrancy of Scripture. You know what they were setting everybody up for religiously? Postmodernism, where you just believe whatever you want to believe. One writer said, of, of the old line liberalism, which the denominations morphed into, one writer said this, in a Los Angeles Times op-ed piece, said embraced by the leadership of, of the mainline Protestant denominations as well as large segments of American Catholicism, liberal Christianity has been hailed by its boosters for 40 years as the future of the Christian church. Did it work out that way? The article goes on to say this is a lost man writing in a secular newspaper. He said, Instead, as all but a few diehards now admit, all the mainline churches and movements within churches that have blurred doctrine and softened moral precepts are demographically declining and, in the case of the Episcopal Church, disintegrating. How far has it gone? They're ordaining homosexuals into the ministry. That's how far it's gone. That's how far it's gone. Now, what are we dealing with in the present now? We're dealing with something similar but just more brazen in the current liberalism of the contemporary slash emergent movements. One of their writers, Brian McLaren, for example, has repeatedly voiced misgivings about whether it's appropriate for Christians to describe the atonement as a penal substitution. He says, quote, it sounds like divine child abuse, unquote. Boy, if that doesn't cut to the core of salvation, I don't know what does. God sending his son in love to die for our sins is divine child abuse? Salvation is not to be spoken of in terms of of the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross for our sins, then if not, what is it? If it's not that, what is it? The old liberalism religiously brought us the social gospel and doubt after doubt on the validity of scripture, relying upon science and reason over divine revelation politically it gave us feminism it gave us gay marriage it gave us environmentalism we no longer can can uh, effectively fight terrorism keep our borders closed it just goes on and on and on but now we have the new liberalism now we have the new way of looking at it and it's the old liberalism packaged up for a new generation Steve Chalk, one of their authors, his book is called The Lost Message of Jesus. He said this, quote, the fact is that the cross is a form of cosmic child abuse, a vengeful father punishing his son for an offense he has not even committed. The Bible tells us that Christ suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust. 1 John 1, 7 says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Remember, I told you before, we're, we're not talking about something that nibbles around the edges. We're talking about something that goes right at the heart of what the New Testament stands for. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. The postmodernist, so-called Christian angst about certainty, angst about certainty. This one, this uh, Brian McLaren talks about how he hates to listen to Christian radio driving down the road, because he doesn't like uh, preachers getting uh, dogmatic about doctrine. We we want to we want to embrace mystery. We want to embrace ambiguity. We want to be like the world and not profess anything dogmatic so that they'll accept us. Rick Adams went so far right after the Twin Towers went down as to suggest that we should blend Christianity and Islam into something he called Chrislam. Yeah, that's really biblical. One author goes on to say, Many church leaders have radically changed the way they look at the gospel. The gospel, folks. The gospel, we're not talking about the gap theory. Okay? We're not talking about what really happened in Genesis 6. We're talking about salvation here. Rather than seeing it as a message from God that Christians are called to proclaim as Christ's ambassadors, they now treat it like a commodity to be sold at market. And over and over and over again, you can read their quotes where they basically just say, look, we're looking to the world to tell us how they want us to present the church to them. Poll after poll after poll to the unchurched to find out what they want and then just redesign and reconfigure everything from worship service to what we believe to accommodate the unregenerate mind. What happened to thus saith the Lord? What happened to the Bible being the blueprint? And folks, most of it's done in the name of liberty. We have liberty. We have liberty. We have liberty. Liberty, yes. Licentiousness, no. Liberty, yes. Apostasy, no. Take your Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 1. Let me show you how serious Paul was about all this. You want to talk about dogmatic, Galatians chapter, Galatians chapter 1, and Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 6. Uh, Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of God unto another gospel. Now remember, the believers in the region of Galatia, which was a, a large area including a lot of different cities, they had begun to lapse into Judaism. The Judaizers had followed up Paul and said, all right, yeah, okay, it's all right if you want to believe on Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, but you got to go back to the Old Testament law. You, you got to observe circumcision uh, for salvation. You have to observe uh, the Sabbath for salvation, and on and on it went, and Paul deals with this for six chapters with the believers in the region of Galatia, and he says in verse seven, he says that they, 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 they uh, were removed uh, to, uh, unto another gospel verse 7 which is not another another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you verse 8 uh, than that which we have preached unto you now watch what he says let him be what that's another way for saying let him be damned let him be accursed uh, look at verse Look at verse 9, as we said before, just in case we didn't get it the first time, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men, for if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Folks, as I said before, this stuff doesn't nibble around the edges, it goes straight after salvation and and all it is all it is in the main is postmodernism applied to christianity that's all it is that's all it is and there's a certain arrogance to all of this liberty has become licentiousness it's become a badge of arrogance I told you about the Christianity Today article I read several years ago that came, and we get every publication known to man. They just send it to us whether we subscribe to it or not. But it talked about the problem now of the addicted ministry. What did they mean? How many, how many ministers, preachers, so-called in the modern contemporary and immersion movement uh, are now alcoholics? Well, all this talk about, you know, we got liberty, we got liberty, we got liberty, and so now we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to get away from the old standards. We're going to get away from the old fundamentalism. We're going to get away from the old Bible believers. We're going to get away from the old stuck-in-the-mud people who believe stuff like that was a sin, and 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 we're just going to dabble in it. Well, alcohol, you might dabble with it, but it don't dabble with you. One writer said of the arrogance uh, of, of the... Uh, Uh, of the the current ministry this way. Apostates face an interesting dilemma. They frequently become so lost to honor, so lacking in decency, so indifferent to disgrace that they often don't care who sees their sin, especially in their own inner circle. They wear it arrogantly like a badge of honor. In Jews' words, they become more like raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. I've heard talk of, of vile practices from the pulpit, vanity. And all bragging about it in the name of liberty. Now look, don't misunderstand. I, I'm not kidding myself that I am looking at a crowd that is a perfect paragon of all virtue. And that there isn't a man here that if he, that if he hit his, hit his uh, thumb with a hammer, uh, might say something different than praise the Lord. And by the way, uh, if you want to know about me, I'll just put it this way. We're all painted with the same brush. But you want to know what the big difference is? If you hold to what the Bible says, when you mess up, you know it's wrong. And you confess it as a sin. And you try to do better. This other crowd in the name of liberty is, well, hey, if I'm having problems with it, just codify it as okay. And it's no more a sin. And as the Bible teaches our separation, we should be trying to get as far from the line between right and wrong as possible on the side of right. This this new crowd here wants to stand there right on the line and lean as far over toward wrong as they possibly can without falling off. Well, guess what's going to happen one day? Something's going to give you a shove. All in the name. Of liberty, and ambiguity, and again we know God spoke, but He must have mumbled. They're already buckling to the culture on homosexuality. Look, I'm sorry, I, I don't, I, I don't care that our culture has has codified it as legal marriage. The Bible still calls it perversion. The Bible still calls it perversion. One writer said, "What's so interesting about this movement?" Is the emerging church sanctifies the culture? The emerging church sanctifies the postmodern culture as if it is legitimate and says if we're going to reach these people, we got to be like these people. The Bible says Jesus, as a knock on him, was a friend of publicans and sinners, but he never participated in their sin, he never justified their sin. Uh, the woman that was brought in adultery he said he said i don't condemn you he said but go and what sin no more do better he didn't say well it's okay it just depends on how you look at it do what you want it's all good that's not what he said but that's what this modern crowd and this modern crowd does not like sermons a lot of them don't even have a pastor They don't like sermons. Here's the word you always hear. Well, let's have an ongoing conversation. Implying there's never a conclusion and there's never an end. The idea of a sermon or preaching appalls them. Why? Because there's a certain certainty to all of that. And just as our, our schools and our culture and the media have engaged in, in uh, revisionist history, this postmodernist mentality has leached its way into certain segments of Christendom, as I'm gonna call it, and they're beginning to practice deconstructionism. I mean, it's just the same way the liberals look at our history of our country, and by the time you get done reading it, you'd think we were the worst nation upon the face of the earth and in the history of mankind. And when these guys get talking about Christianity as we've known it from the first century to the present, you would think they came to restore it the way Joseph Smith came to restore everything. There's a certain arrogance to it. There's a certain arrogance to it in the name of liberty. You know what we need this morning? We need the light of God's word. These are dark times, folks. I don't need to tell you that. But you know what's great? The darker it is, the brighter the light shines. You know, the kids sing this little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And folks, that's what most of us are. We're a little light. But you shut all the lights off in this room and let it get pitch dark in here, and you can just pull out a little flashlight or light a match. And it's noticeable, folks. It's noticeable. These aren't times to give up. These are times to stand. Can I, can I just be frank with you this morning? I, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I'm really sorry if your enthusiasm for serving the Lord insists upon everybody's going along. Man, man, hey, we got all the momentum We're we're going with the flow, and and man, it's good, and we're we're winning every battle, and things are getting gooder and gooder, and and more and more people are agreeing with me, and wow, just everybody likes me, and I like everybody. It's not the way it is, folks. It's not the way it is. In the last days before the Lord's return, it's going to be a remnant standing Standing, standing against tsunami waves of error. Folks, think about it. When God had Noah build an ark, there were eight people standing. And after what happened when they got off the ark, it's questionable whether all eight were standing. If you're looking for a Christianity that's popular If you're looking to be popular because you're a Christian, I'll tell you right now, this morning, you're in the wrong place. Because as long as I have anything to say about it, and I believe most of the people in this room have anything to say about it, we're sticking with the book. And that's going to get increasingly unpopular as time goes along, even in our beloved country. You know what? These These are times to settle it before the Lord what we believe and where we stand and just dig in right there. I think too often, and and I'm sure I'm guilty of this too, you know, I'm glad I live in this country. But I'm afraid sometimes that I'm not always a biblical Christian. I'm an American Christian. And what I mean by that is the whole idea is well, hey, you know, we gotta be growing. Folks, not everything in your body is always growing. In fact, one of the things that will grow at a runaway rate and never stop growing is called cancer. And that's what's wrong with it it's runaway cell reproduction of the wrong sort. You know what happens in your body? old cells die new cells come in it's it's not always going to be about being part of the majority and by by the way i would say by now we're not part of the majority not if you believe this book you're not even part of the majority among professing christians anymore if you really believe this book from genesis to revelation if you really believe it has no errors If you really want to stand by the old-time biblical religion, you're already in the minority. And you know what? Can I say something to you straight out? There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with that. You read your Bible with your eyes open and your heart open. You see so many times where God's people were in the minority, and they stood, and they honored God, and God was blessed and glorified through it. I'd I'd like to stand here and tell you that I found something in the Bible that indicates to me that there's going to be a worldwide revival that's going to sweep the whole world before Jesus comes back at the rapture. I can't find it. In fact, what I see indicates apostasy within the body of Christ. And even among professing Christianity, you're going to stand out in many cases like a sore thumb. Let me ask you a question this morning. You got what it takes? Or is the desire in you to be like so strong that you're just going to go wherever the school of fish are going? Do you ever see a, 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 an aquarium where there's a bunch of fish in it and you just take, and I always do this every time I go, maybe it's naughty, I don't know, but I go up and I bump hit it and they just psh, all together. They just, they all move like that. School of fish, herd-bound mentality. Cattle couple of them get up start walking. They all get up. They don't know what they're doing. They're just following those two guys. We're going to have to be able to stand, folks. Stand in days of apostasy. In days where people have not only given up, have not only given up that God is going to provide us the truth and that the truth is found in God and in the word of God, but the idea that every man has his own truth and it's legitimate, no matter what that is. If he says 2 plus 2 is 5, well, then you've got to go along with it. You can't criticize it. You can't say anything about it. You can't refute it. You can't be dogmatic that it's 4. I mentioned this to you last week, but you think about this. Adolf Hitler was true to his truth. Six million Jews lost their lives, and the world was plunged into a world war where many tens of millions more were dead and you read his life, and you read about him, he was true to what he believed. Did that make him right? Absolutely not. But according to postmodernism, it was okay. Do you see how faulty that is? Folks, don't worry when someone calls you narrow because you believe this book. And when Christians look at you the same way. Brother Sean Holtz, I saw, yeah, there you are. You know who Brother Sean Holmes gets the most trouble for doing street ministry? And God's given him a gift. I've seen video and pictures of him. I've, I've seen him on college campuses with a couple, I, I'm not exaggerating this, 200 or so young people out there in the courtyard with him, listening to him. Are you ready for this? Two hours. You can't get independent Baptists to sit in a comfortable building. And listen to a preacher for two hours. Brother Tom Barg told me, he said, I went with him, he about wore me out. Then after that, there was about an hour of question and answer from about 40 of them. After the crowd broke up. And you know, he's, he's, we've talked about this. I've gotten some of the calls from the irate, are you ready for this? So-called campus ministers that aren't doing anything to win any of those young people in college to Christ. But they sure don't like what he's doing. And you want to know why? It puts them and their laziness on the spot. All I have to say, when, and you need to think this way, when someone criticizes you for witnessing, and remember something, any witness is better than no witness. You tell somebody about Christ, as soon as you're done, the devil get on your shoulder and say, you did that wrong. When he asked that question, you should have said this. You shouldn't have given him that verse. And he'll try to discourage you. Amen? I had an old guy that was discipling me shortly after I got saved, and I was, I was going through that dilemma, and he said, Rick, any witness is better than no witness. But when someone comes up to me and says, well, I, I don't like the way you're doing that, it's always a professing Christian. Right, Brother Holes? Always. So I always ask him, "How you do? How do you do it?" Oh well, I I don't. I just I just I just live my life and I let the light of Christ shine through me. Yeah, is this the light of Christ shining through you as, as you are disturbing a gospel preacher? <laughs> Did King Jesus tell you to do this, or the God of this world? But my reply to that is always this: I like what I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the apostasy has leached deep into the professing church of Jesus Christ in this country. And if we're going to have to stand, we're not only going to have to stand against what's obviously secular, we're going to have to stand against a lot of what professes to be Christian and stay with God. And don't be deceived by this stuff, folks. Jesus said, I am the way The truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let me give you a final thought or two here. I know I've gone over time, and uh, I don't even know if I can find this. Bear with me. Think about lunch, it's coming. Think of John 14, 6. Let's just turn there for a second. Take a look at it. I I know we can all quote it, but let's not not get arrogant about it. Let's, Let's look at the verse. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Aren't those words music to your ears? In this current culture, it's considered a curse to quote something like that because it's too dogmatic. Folks, that's your Savior. That's the one who loved you and died for you. That's what he said about himself. Don't be ashamed to tell others that that's what he said about himself. That's not what we're saying about ourselves. We're just sinners saved by grace, amen? But I want you to listen to this, this last biblical definition of truth because I think it's, I think it's good. One writer said, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Even more to the point, truth is the self-expression of God. Aren't you glad for the truth this morning? Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free. Free." Don't worry about what they're saying all around us. Enjoy the freedom you have because of the truth. I wouldn't go back to the slavery of my sin for nothing. I wouldn't go back to that old life, even though it promises so much liberty. All it is is liberty to get back into the chains. I thank God he removed those shackles. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And I realize once again, for all of my efforts, Lord, to be able to express this the way it should be expressed, to articulate this the way it should be spoken, I find almost impossible. But Lord, there it is before us, and there's where the battle line is today. Help us to stand with Christ. Help us to stand for Christ. And help us to not be ashamed to speak a word for him in what Jesus called a wicked and adulterous generation. Lord, you told us in the book of Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Lord, let's not be ashamed to tell the world that he's our savior. Help us now as we go forward from this place in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 383. Number 383, The Solid Rock.
1: My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy. i mm-hmm. i oh.